Pray with me. Gracious God, thank you for seeking us out, for gathering us before you, for not keeping silent in the face of our need. Thank you for calling us into account and for challenging us with strong words to be a people of covenant and justice. Thank you for assuring us that we need not be afraid, for it is your good pleasure to give us your kingdom. And courage and hope, we come before you this hour to hear your word and prepare our hearts for the unexpected hour of your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the first lesson this morning, we will listen to some of the very first words of the prophet Isaiah. He proclaims a vision from the Lord concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it is quite a message, as Colin just said, of strong words. From the book of Isaiah, the very first chapter, chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What, to me, is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands... I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, here's how we're going to do this this year. I'm going to count to three, then you will call out your favorite number in a great Wesleyan manner. If that doesn't make sense, I invite you to read Roman numeral page seven in the front of the hymnal, but not right now, later. Call it out one time. Any numbers that I hear repeated over and over will be ignored blatantly. And if... A number is called out that I hear that none of the rest of you hear. It doesn't matter. That's what we're going to sing anyway. 
So that's kind of how it is. So let's start with this wedge first. One, two, three. I heard clearly 77, so let's do 77. Whether it was called out or not, we're singing How Great Thou Art. Stanza one. see the system as flayed and flawed as it might be it's the one we're going to work under now we're going to take this section one two three I heard 173 the best Carl said you have an advantage if you sit near the front he was right 173 stands to one did not tell you is that this morning we've had a Scottish Psalter hymn, a uh, spiritual, what else have we had? We had a totally unsingable one at 945, but we went through it anyway. So it's just, it's been quite a grab bag. So let's, let's have one more. This is going to be anybody at all. One, two, three. Oh, wait a minute. We had a horse out of the gate too soon. Let's try that again. One, two, three. All right, I heard 514. Ah, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Great one to stand up on. Let's stand as we sing stanza one. Stand up for Jesus, 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 Jesus,
Oh, you may as well just stay standing. Our gospel lesson this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 32 through 40. Jesus speaks to his disciples and to us. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. you have to say this for Jesus, once, once he gets something in his head, once he gets an idea going, train of thought, he, he hangs on to it for a while and he keeps working it until he's sure we figured out what he's talking about. He doesn't, he doesn't let it go. You may remember that last week we found him in Luke 12, he was teaching the disciples about discipleship in the kingdom and then this guy interrupted him from the crowd about an estate settlement. In response to that, Jesus told this parable of the rich fool who had had the bumper crop and built the new barns, and then God demanded his life of him. And Jesus basically was saying to us a week ago, look, you need to acknowledge that God is the source of your life. You're not the source of your own life. The best way to acknowledge that is to get over this obsession with all of your stuff and to just release it. So this week, he makes sure we get the point. He pops up and he says, sell everything. Just sell everything. Give it to the poor, he says. And in the 11 verses that we jumped over between last week and this week, he says things like not to worry, you know, the birds of the air have food, the flowers of the field are pretty, God provides, you shouldn't worry about it, that sort of thing. In other words, Jesus is saying, divest, don't worry about it, just get rid of it all. Jesus clearly did not have a 401k or a stock portfolio. And so we've come today to find another week of financial advice from an unmarried, childless, itinerant rabbi who relies on the generosity of other people for everything. I mean, do you think it's accidental that he's always eating a meal at someone else's house? No matter who they are, it's a meal's a meal. It's a good thing. Any meal's better than none. 
Now, before we go any further, I just want to tell you that I'm going to not be much more help to you about this than Jesus is. I mean, Monday I was in the office, I was getting information together for Lori for the bulletin, and as I am typing the title of the sermon, Investment Strategies, the stock market is dropping 750 points. So clearly it is better for you that I am your preacher than I am your financial planner or your investment broker. So here's Jesus' investment strategy. Sell it. Sell it all. Give it to the poor. Invest in things that can't be stolen from you and that aren't going to wear out. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be, he says. Now that doesn't, that doesn't translate well for us. It doesn't translate well from Greek into English. It especially doesn't translate well from the first century into the 21st century. This is not Jesus' most pragmatic teaching, but if you've been paying any attention to him at all, what you know is the kingdom of God is not a particularly pragmatic thing, not by any standard by which we measure pragmatism. The last are first. The poor are going to be blessed. The chosen are going to be some minimum wage fishermen and farmers put into community with some well-to-do tax collectors who are totally unethical. And when you think about that, sell all of your possessions doesn't sound too surprising coming from Jesus' lips. The problem is it just doesn't work in the world that you and I live in. It's, it's hard to follow Jesus at this point. It's hard to take him seriously. I will tell you this is one of those verses I cling to and use at appropriate moments when I need to use things. Usually when I'm in a, shall we call it, a discussion with someone, about something, usually, most frequently, it's not a layperson, it's not one of you, it's, say, a pastor of another denomination who's very well paid, and, and we're, we're arguing about something, and he says to me, the problem is, you're not taking the Bible literally, and then victoriously climbs into his Mercedes to drive away, and I shout at the taillights, oh yeah, well, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, you're not taking it literally either, how's that working for you, and so I just sort of... It's a helpful verse when you need it, is all I'm saying. <laughs> on the other hand, in fairness, on the other hand, perhaps Jesus is trying to tell us something important. Maybe he's naming a truth. Maybe he's trying to remind us that stuff and things and possessions are not our primary concern. They're not the most important thing around. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that reflects God's way of life in the world that we should be focused on, something more than accumulation in our bank accounts. Maybe it has to do with relationship with God, with one another. Maybe it has to do with the kingdom. The news this week, it's like every week, the news this week reported some natural disaster. I Honestly, they run together now. I honestly don't remember whether it was a fire or a flood or a tornado or an earthquake. But they were reporting some natural disaster, and the news story was exactly the one you've seen countless times. There's a reporter standing in someone's yard, and everything is in rubble around this poor woman who's disheveled and looking totally shocked and lost. And you know what she says to the reporter? It's just stuff. Everybody I love and care about is safe, and that's all that matters. It's just stuff. Do, do you think I mean, do you think that in that moment she really means that? I do. But then I'm a Methodist preacher and I'm predisposed to view the world that way. What really matters 
And this is what Jesus seems to know. What really matters are intangible things. Relationships, people, the kingdom. We should invest in those. We're willing to invest in those. We tell the mission teams, we, we, we give them these mission moments. Kelly did a fine job this morning. As you know, because you're here, they're not always. We tell them, actually we beg them, we say to them, don't ask them for money. Don't, don't, don't waste the precious three minutes we're giving you asking them for money. They are capitalists for crying out loud. They're Americans. They live and carry for heaven's sakes. They're not going to part with the money easily. If all you do is stand up here and ask them for money, you're gonna, what you're going to get is a couple of quarters, some dimes, a nickel or two, and a lot of pocket lint. Here's what you need to do with the precious three minutes we're giving you. Tell them about the lives that are changed. Tell them about the way it has changed your life. Tell them about the lives you hope to change. Tell them what Jesus is doing through this mission, and you will have trouble counting the money. I mean, here's an example for you. You may have seen this. It actually doesn't come from the church, so some of our best examples don't. It comes from the news. You may have seen it this week. Um, Brady Campbell is six years old. He lives in Colorado. His, his dad died of cancer about a month ago. And Brandon Campbell said to his son Brady before he died, there's one thing I want you to do for me, and that is the Friday after I'm gone, I want you to take your mom on a date. Your mom and I go down on a date every Friday night. You know that. I need you to take your mom on a date. And the two of them came up with a way that Brady could raise the money to take his mom out on a date. So about a week after his father died, Brady Campbell goes and he sets up a lemonade stand out on the street outside of his house. And the sign says, lemonade, 25 cents a cup or best offer. Isn't that great? Six years old. This kid's going to the Flagler School of Business someday. 25 cents a cup or best offer. Nothing about why he's doing this, just that's all it says. And a police officer stops by, and he buys a cup of lemonade, and he asks Brady what he was going to do with the money. Now, Brady could have said, I need 50 bucks. What Brady did was he told him the story about this relationship. He told him about his dad, and he told him about his mom, and what his mom and dad used to do, and what he was trying to do for his mom. And the police officer told every other police officer he saw the rest of the day, and neighbors he saw on the beat, and they called the fire department. And by the end of the day, and 75 people later, Brady had raised $244. And if the story ended there, even in and of itself, that would be enough to make the point. But the story continued. A neighbor, moved by the story of Brady's care for his mom, set up a GoFundMe page. And two weeks later, the Brandon Campbell Memorial Fund at the University of Colorado Medical Center has an additional $38,000 for colorectal cancer research. And that is not at all what Brady started out to do. He just wanted to take his mom on a date. But the relationship was far more important than the money. The relationships. Invest in stuff that is not going to break or wear out. Where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. Now, I'm willing to acknowledge that Jesus knew what he was talking about. 
I'm also willing to acknowledge that Jesus probably, being a Palestinian preacher in the first century, was using hyperbole to make his point. I would never do such a thing, but I'm willing to acknowledge Jesus probably was. And the point is that the kingdom, an investment in the kingdom, isn't measured. It can't be measured by the way we measure things. It's not a matter of the return on the investment or the rate of return or the market share. It's about something else. It's about the heart. It's about the way God's at work in human life. It may not even be about our possessions at all. And the clue to that is the first verse of the passage that Connolly read. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Here's what I've come to suggest to you if you've wrestled with this text, and that is that it's really about the kingdom. And it's about how the fear that we live in prevents us from receiving the gift of the kingdom God wishes to offer us. And that's where I think possessions creep in. If you have them, and I assume that you do, then here's what you know. Possessions create fear. You become afraid of losing them. You become afraid of not having enough of them. You become afraid you can't get any more of them. You become afraid that somebody else may have more than you. It may be why Jesus says we're better off without them. It removes the power of the fear. It contains the anxiety. In the mid-20th century, uh, just between, well, actually between the wars, the world wars, the poet W.H. Alton labeled the 20th century the age of anxiety. And I want to suggest to you that the logical consequence, the age that follows the age of anxiety, the age that we're in in the 21st century, is the age of fear. That fear is born from anxiety, and that is a logical, natural progression if something doesn't interrupt it. We live, that is the definition of the time that you and I are in, is fear. We've added to the litany this week, we've added El Paso and Dayton to the litany. You know the litany, the one that starts with Columbine, and the one that winds its way through Las Vegas, and Orlando, and Blacksburg, and Sandy Hook, and Parkland, and Charleston, and on and on and on, that litany that every time we hear it causes fear to well up within us. Some young friends of mine were telling me this week, some 20-something types, that when they go to a concert now, the first thing they do when they get there is discuss their plan in case of a shooting. Where they'll hide and where they will try to regroup and meet one another later if they can to check on each other at a concert. We live in fear. We live in fear of a lot of things. We shiver when Noah updates its hurricane forecast for the fall and tells us the fall is going to be busier than usual. And we shiver because we're afraid because we know what hurricanes can do. And we know what hurricanes can take away from us and from people we love. We become afraid when the market drops dramatically because it has to do with our pension and our retirement fund and the future we plan for ourselves and for some of us the present we're living in and it causes us to have this moment of fear and panic sets in. 
We stand, some of us, over cribs just to watch and make sure babies are breathing because we've read that they don't always in the crib breathe, and so we stand there afraid that they're going to stop breathing. Or some of us just sit and wait to hear, to get the email or the phone call from the doctor's office with the lab report, afraid of what it might say because we know we've not been feeling great, and we don't know that the lab report's not going to tell us the worst thing imaginable. We live with all sorts of anxieties and uncertainties, and perhaps most especially, we live with the fear of death this great anxiety and uncertainty that's in front of all of us all the time. One of my mentors loved this verse 32. It was his favorite verse in the Bible. He said it, he found it to be the most comforting verse in the Bible he knew. He thought the gospel was fully contained in this one verse. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He would tell us about it every chance he get. He would talk about that verse every chance. And he would recite it in his sonorous voice in the King James Version. Fear not, little flock, he would say. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's appropriate that when he was dying, we visited with him. He asked us to read that to him. Those of us who knew him who would go to see him, he'd say, read Luke 12, 32. We'd read it, fear not, little flock. And if you go to his gravestone now, there are four words in the lower right-hand corner of the gravestone. Fear not, little flock. Even in the face of death, Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's the most repeated command in the Bible. Predominantly, the way we remember it most is from the angels at Christmas and Easter who announce his coming and his going. Don't be afraid. Fear not, because what really matters in your life, what really matters in the end is something that God will give to you. It is the kingdom itself. It is God's presence itself. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And you can't store it up and hide it away so no one else can have it. And you can step out of it if you choose, but you really can't lose it because it's in God's hands. It won't compound by your investment, but by the same token, it will not shrink by your sharing it with others. It's fully present all around us. God will give it. All of it's a grace. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be anxious about. Don't be afraid. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I have to tell you, here's a closing irony. I have to tell you, um, I've been struggling all week with this text. It's, I've wrestled with it. Jesus has wrestled with me. I've wrestled with him. We've wrestled with the text. I didn't want to preach it. The lectionary said preach it. Jesus said preach it. So here I was. Wrestled with it all week. I'm giving it to you now. You can wrestle with it this week coming up. I'm moving on to something else. And, and I couldn't land this thing. I had, we were circling. We, I just kept circling all week. I couldn't get this thing down on the runway. I couldn't land it. I didn't have something to really just sort of close this out with strongly. And so late in the week, I'm going to confess to you, late in the week I do what all desperate preachers do late in the week. I went to the Internet. I mean, I went looking for the story that was just going to grab you, right, either by the lapels or the wallet. Whichever worked was going to be fine and just get you motivated to go out of here. And I didn't find exactly that. I didn't find the story that would wow you. What I found was just a... Classic irony. I entered into Google, Luke 12, 32 to 40. I started scrolling through the articles and looking at the different things, and I found this article. It was paper or an article, a piece written by another preacher, 
and it was a reflection on Luke 32, Luke 12, 32 to 34. He started with the fear not little flock, and then he moved quickly to sell your possessions, give alms to the poor, don't store up for yourself treasures where things can wear out, and you know um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he wrote eight paragraphs on it, and they were very plain. Nothing that I wanted to use with you in fear that you would go, what happened to him this week, quoting that. But when I got to the bottom of the page, there was the irony of the whole thing. Because at the bottom of the page, eight paragraphs on sell all you have and give it to the poor and where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. At the bottom of the page was an ad by the page sponsor which read, I doubled my earnings by investing in, and it named a company. <laughs> I caught the irony. You've caught the irony. I don't think the web designer caught the irony, but he probably had read neither the article nor the ad, but there it was. Eight paragraphs on where your treasure is, I doubled my earnings by investing in. And that's how we do it, isn't it? That's our way. I doubled my earnings by investing in. And we look to do that. That's the way we do it. But it makes us anxious. And it makes us afraid. Sell everything you've got. Don't, don't invest in things that are going to break down and wear out. Invest in things that are eternal. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in God, invest in one another. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And if your heart's in the kingdom, your treasure's the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And you can do what you wish with that. But I think that I'm going to choose to trust that Jesus has the better investment strategy.